do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. True and Terrifying Stories, Volume 5. Story number one. My wife and I haven't been married for long, since December. Our house isn't large. Two bedrooms, living room, kitchen, one bath, and an office. Well, our bedroom is connected to the guest bedroom via a small hallway. In the middle of this hallway, on either side and slightly staggered, are the doors to the living room and bathroom. There is no door to the living room, and the door to our bedroom is open. When you enter our bedroom, there is a wall immediately to the right, and to the left is our bed. The headboard is pushed up against the same wall as the door. For some reason, my wife slept closest to the door and I was on the side furthest, with a wall maybe two feet away. Our laundry room is at one end of the living room, separating it from the kitchen. We left this light on at night for our dog, a 14-month-old Doberman. Now that I've explained the layout, I'll explain what happened. It was 2 a.m. or a little after, close to what some people believe as the witching hour. We had just finished the movie and we were going to sleep. I had just dozed off and my wife was having some trouble getting there. All of a sudden, it sounded like someone dropped a glass plate in the hallway. Within that second, I jumped out of bed and had my Glock firmly in my hands. I jumped out of bed so fast and hard and placed my back to the wall that my elbow put an indentation in the sheetrock. Just as I adjusted to the soft light in the living room, my wife asked me what broke. I immediately knew I hadn't been hearing things. I moved to the other side of the bed, took a knee at the corner and leveled my sights on the only door into our room. I was going to make Swiss cheese out of the first thing that walked into my view. And then I noticed my dog laying on the floor in front of our furnace on his bed. I thought, how odd it was that it hadn't woken him as loud as it had been. After several minutes of nothing, I began to exit the room. I nudged my dog several times, and he never budged. I even kicked him in the shoulder. Still nothing. Then my mind started to go into cold calculations. Either someone had already killed my dog, or fed him something earlier in the evening when he was outside to take care of his barking. By this time, I backed into the room, shut the door, and handed my wife the pistol, and I grabbed my 870. I checked both windows and made sure they were locked. I exited our bedroom and made her lock the door behind me. And let me tell you, I checked the entire house, everywhere. I could find no one, no sign of forced entry, or any unlocked windows or doors. I even checked a freaking attic. And the eerie part? I could find nothing broken. After walking over to my dog, I checked his pulse and he was fine and breathing. After some tough love, I was able to rouse him and get him up. I took Kaiser, the Doberman, and we went outside. I walked the entire perimeter. All of the screens were off of the windows. I could find no footprints of any sort near them. Not even the grass had been disturbed. All of the windows were still intact, no cracks. I even checked our vehicles for anything strange. Nothing. After a thorough search, I went back in. Checked the house once more, and my wife and I decided 
to watch another movie since we couldn't go to sleep. The next morning in the daylight, we searched that house over inside and out. Nothing out of place. Not a single thing broken. Even checked all the dishes. Story number two. Went on a self-guided backpacking hunt for mule deer in extremely remote country of the Frank Church Wilderness area back in the fall of 09. A good hunting partner and I paid a small fortune to get flown into one of a half dozen airstrips off the wild salmon river that scatter the wildest, toughest terrain that exists in the lower 48. Our plan was KISS, keep it simple stupid. We would use several hiking trails to access the high country basins, then from there bushwhack into even remoter areas, glossing for big muley bucks that haunt places rarely seen by man. We had a full 14-day hunt in which to accomplish this, making sure to get our butts back down and out of the strip for pickup. After a fairly smooth landing on a very short grass strip and a quick unloading of our 70-plus pound packs, the way two young pilot reassured us he would be back, weather permitting, in two weeks. A rather strange feeling washed over me as I saw that small mountain plane taxi and roar away, climbing slowly and finally disappearing over the steep river gorge into the ever-graying skies, one I had never quite felt before in all of my 36 years spent growing up hunting and hiking the wilds of Idaho. The nearest town, over 50 miles away, this was by far the deepest either of us had ever been, and if you haven't ever done anything like this, it's definitely a surreal experience, to say the least. We were both giddy as schoolgirls as we rucked up and headed for the trailhead at the far end of the strip, and thus began our trek into the wild. The first couple of days were fairly uneventful. Weather remained warmer than usual for this time of the year, and the animals made themselves scarce. As we climbed higher and higher, leaving the river far below, a strange feeling of being constantly watched began to creep into my mind. Day three. Found us all, off trail and bushwhacking, and some fairly steep terrain. Talus slides and a recent burn made the going slow and tedious. As of yet, we had seen more black bear than any other critter, and it only added to the strange feeling of uneasiness that seemed to be growing by the hour. The night before, over whiskey and a good cigar, we had laughed uneasily about it as we swapped old hunting tales, and I tried my best to put it out of my mind, to man up and pass off my gut feelings as some sort of paranoia. First mistake, always trust your gut. The old-timers were spot-on here. Towards afternoon, the weather looked to be turning slightly, and we welcomed the cooler temps and breezes of the higher elevations. No biting flies and game sign was increasing, as we soon found a spot suitable for base camp. I had been itching to try out my brand-new Kifaru four-man teepee and stove. It had cost me an arm and a leg, and a heated shelter after years of cold camping seemed almost plush and soft. As of yet, we hadn't needed the small, collapsible wood-burning stove, but with those dark clouds massing and a potential dusting off the white stuff in our very near future, it all of a sudden seemed a more than worthwhile investment. I set up camp and started dinner as my friend went to get a jump on the morning hunt by throwing some glass on a nearby drainage about a quarter mile away. After about an hour and a half and very close to dark, I could hear my friend returning 
and by the sound of his breathing, I knew he was in a hurry. Expecting good news as he approached, I was taken aback by a somewhat concerned look on his face. He quickly informed me that while glassing the fairly open northern slopes that lay across the drainage, he had spotted several good mountain bucks, bedded and still bachelored, just below the timberline. The problem was, it seemed, that we weren't the only ones here hunting meat. He had spent the better half of an hour observing no longer the bucks, but what looked to be a man, dressed in a very odd-looking clothing, stalking the exact same group of deer. Now, at any other time or situation, this would have been more than a mere annoyance to us, and we knew of at least two packers working out of the same area. Encountering mountain guides and their clients was commonplace this time of the year, even here so far in, and we had planned our hunt accordingly to avoid this exact thing. Choosing an area miles away from the nearest horse-friendly trail, we were most confident that we wouldn't see another human for the full hunt duration. But something about this odd-looking character has set my very seasoned old friend off kilter, and almost immediately he rummaged through his pack and pulled out a very sawed-off pistol-grip 12-gauge and loaded it with buck. Said he was packing it for two reasons, and two reasons only. Grizzly or man? Regardless to say, we didn't have a fire that night outside, instead choosing to fire up the little stove inside and discuss this further over a few sips of crown. My friend recounted that through the dim light of the approaching dusk, he'd watch what he first thought was a cinnamon bear or possibly a cougar or even the rarely seen timber wolf stalk these deer through a stand of burnt lodgepole and waist-high fireweed. But after putting down his knocks and quickly setting up his Savorsky spotter scope and zooming in full power, he was surprised to see that actually it was a man, heavily bearded and wearing what looked like to be either faded heart pants or some sort of chaps, or possibly even tanned hide, also very tattered, moss green and tan blanket draped over his shoulders with a fur-like covered cap. He was also carrying a scopeless wooden stocked rifle, maybe a lever action thirty thirty. It soon became too dark for my friend to follow his movements any longer, and something about the guy freaked him out. More the way he moved or something like that, he said, almost like the guy knew we were there. The next morning, found us glassing at sunrise from the same vantage point my friend had used the previous evening. Tucked down within some boulders, we spent most of the early morning looking for game. Not really speaking of the strange events of the night before, but I assure you it was in the back of my mind. We ended up spotting the same group of bucks moving out of the creek fairly late in the morning, heading towards a small bench below rims with cover. One looked to me to be in the high 180s and sported decent drop teen off his left side. A good one for sure. We waited for them to bed as we planned the best route, water grading the basin under cover as much as possible to a point which looked suitable for about a 300-yard or better shot. About halfway to our destination, a shot rings out. Smaller caliber, and the echo quickly is absorbed into the massive drainage, Another shot, and we dropped down instinctively and immediately started glassing. 
The bucks are now standing alert and looking every which way, but apparently nothing has been hit. And a third shot hones me into the general direction of where the shot is coming from. Glassing soon reveals the same odd man, crouching in pretty much the same location my friend had pointed out, seeing him the night before, but a bit higher, just off the opposing ridge line, among some black and large pole, about 350 yards above the deer group. After shot number four, the deer blow, and he must have gotten closer that time to send them slotting off down into the creek bottom from whence they came. We lay there observing for a good 30 minutes, somewhat out of fear and somewhat out of curiosity. The guy ended up slinking back out through as much cover as he could between himself and our knocks and against all judgment. My friend and I decided to follow this guy and see what he was all about. After another hour or so, we found ourselves cautiously approaching the spot from which this character had taken the wild shots from. I looked for brass, but soon found what looked like to be a bed of matted and torn grass and weeds and some small charcoal remains of a very small fire. For sure, this guy had spent the night right here. Things were becoming weirder for me, and I suggested we just back out of here and relocate to another drainage. After calming down a bit and some further debating, we decided that this dude was probably just another crazy backpack hunter flown in or were some hardcore local packed in from the town of Dixie or Elk City. The latter being highly unlikely, but still possible in our minds. My friends soon persuaded me that we were just most likely freaking ourselves out and that we would only follow around the ridge to get a view of the next drainage and pursue no further. I agreed. Rounding the sharp rocky finger ridge, the trail quickly improved and led us into a series of benches. The fires a few seasons before had apparently missed this little pocket of paradise, and we soon came upon a nice spring, and the hills became much greener. Elk and deer sign was plentiful as we continued into the lush basin. Up ahead, I saw the white tip lines of a set of massive elk sheds and ran ahead, raising them up triumphantly. We stopped to take photos of this hardly chewed 7 by 7 360s herd bull monster. Weighing at least 13 pounds per side, I decided to stash them and retrieve them on our way back to camp. Another 30 minutes and crossing a small feeder stream, we cut a boot print of our friend. Straight up the creek, it seemed, was where he'd gone, and my friend suggested we follow up a little more to what looked like to be a good vantage point. Climbing along the little feeder stream, we soon were into cooler and denser woods. The lodge pole grew tight, and all of a sudden, it appeared out of nowhere. A small rough cabin tucked back into the hillside. It looked to be roughly 12 by 12 and hewn from straight 12-inch diameter lodge pole logs. The roof looked to be earth and bark-covered, cord wood neatly stacked under a rough pole shelter, and a nice four-point buck hung skinned back in the dense shade from a meat pole wrapped in what looked to be a gunny sack. We both froze like cornered animals. Not really sure what to do, we backed down and out of there about 200 yards and spoke in hushed voices. Visions of hermits and of mountain men danced in my head, of people like Sylvan Hart and Earl Parrott, men and even some women who has mostly lived their lives back during the Depression as hermits, prospectors, 
living off the land, hunting and gardening, a mostly solitary existence. Could this be some throwback, modern version of the same? Well, I tell you, we didn't stick around long enough to find out and decided to respect this guy's privacy. Grabbed my trophy sheds on the way out and made it back to camp in record time. Broke down camp and ended up moving down two drainages west and ended up running into some roughnecks with a mule team packing in. Recounted our story to them and they looked at us like we'd gone off the deep end. Really didn't have a lot to say about it at all. We ended up both harvesting good bucks later and nearer the river and my buddy also found a dead full coral Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep dead and the curls weighed with skull around 50 pounds. That was an interesting pack out. After telling the pilot about it, we attempted to fly over the ridge so that we could orient it better and actually saw a small wisp of smoke coming up out of the trees. Snow had since fallen and I to this day can't fathom someone actually living such an unforgiving environment year round. We reported it to the fishing game and they pretty much laughed, said it was much more common than what people thought and that sooner or later they are always discovered. But I got the strange impression that this guy had been there for some years and it was nothing but pure blind luck that we had found his place. Talk about going in again this summer just to see. But who knows, some secrets I guess are better left alone. Story number three. When I was about 12 or so, I was on a scouting trip in Kentucky. We had about three days left of camp and everyone was finishing their merit badges, projects and stuff. The older scouts were gone for almost two days doing survival camp or order the arrow or one of those type things. On the last day, they returned and told some stories to us younger boys about making shelter and finding food. They were sent out with only one potato. A few of them told of catching some birds for food and told us of the methods and offered to show us. We scrounged up burlap sacks and some used pillowcases while others were finding a sturdy stick or shorting down our hiking staffs to use as some sort of tool. We followed the older boys and hiked over the first ridge and spread out for about a mile. We were supposed to sneak up on these birds and bat at them with sticks, either stunning them or chasing them into the sack. The older boys warned us to only put one in the sack, never two as they would claw at each other. We walked through the woods for about two hours. Hadn't seen one of these things. I think they were named Sipes or something. As the sun was going down, we heard one of the older boys, Bo, screaming and yelling. He had caught not one, but two and was yelling to get another sack. He came running down the hill with a bag full, twisted up and swelling, with the animals going round in it. We wouldn't give up our sack because we still wanted to catch ours. Bo persisted, but eventually moved on back to camp. We wanted to see the birds, but he refused to open the bag since the two were fighting inside, and he didn't want to lose them. We kept trekking through the woods for two more hours using our flashlights and moving real slow. Eventually, we gave up and headed back to camp, figuring that Bo had the birds cleaned up and we could try eating them the way the older Eagle Scouts told us about. When we got back to camp, Bo wasn't there, but most of the boys were back empty-handed. The Scoutmaster called the gathering and told us, when Bo opened his sack, the birds were still fighting and they attacked him. He had his face slashed and his hands were cut up pretty bad and the scoutmaster had to drive him to the medical outpost to be driven to the hospital. 
The rest of us went home the next day and soon started school again the next week. When we went to our first scout meeting after school started, Bo wasn't there. We were told he'd moved and wouldn't be in our troop anymore. We never heard from him or how bad his injuries were. To this date, I don't know what kind of animal or bird attacked him in the hills of Kentucky. No, I cannot find anything else about what that was in the sack. Story number four. Two months ago, two friends and I were going to go camping on Crown Land. We drove down some isolated fire logging roads and parked the car in a small field. Donning our backpacks, we bushwhacked and hiked a few kilometers into the bush and made camp beside a small, shallow lake. We spent the day hiking, exploring, and fishing, just having a great time in the outdoors. It was early in the season, and we weren't camping in campgrounds, so we didn't see anybody all day. After dinner, when it was completely dark, we decided to go for a night hike back towards the fire road. As we were hiking on the single car with dirt road, we got into a field and decided to rest and have a campfire. The field is besides the dirt road, and we were maybe 25 meters from the road, just sitting in the field. As we were sitting around the fire, an older model truck started coming up the road with its headlights on. The truck stopped once it was parallel with the field, and we were visible. The truck then turned off its headlights and started backing down the road. Once the truck turned off its headlights, we couldn't see it anymore. We heard it stop then continue. At this time, we were wondering why would a truck driving down a completely dark road turn off its headlights to back up in complete darkness on a single-width dirt road that had boulders and trees to the sides. So getting a bit apprehensive, we smothered the fire and just stood in the field in darkness, listening. A few minutes had gone by, and we had retreated to where the field met with the forest. Then I swear I saw a flashlight beam on the road for a second, then turn off. My friend also said he saw it. We also thought we saw shadows and footsteps, like someone was trying to creep up on us. So being concerned that someone was stalking or watching us, we ran to the car and drove back to the nearest small city. We ended up sleeping in the car in the parking lot of a coffee shop. We came up with all these weird theories why a truck would turn off its headlights and appear to conceal itself and the sounds and flashlights we may have seen. Our imagination ran wild that the truck dropped someone off to watch us or kill us and they were up to no good. The next morning we returned and hiked back to the campsite we had set up but didn't sleep in, gathered our gear and left. Next story. I live in the bottoms close to the Missouri River. We have five acres with a couple of acres being woody and brushy. I think it was about June of 2005. My nephew, my two boys, and myself had been camping in the backyard for about a month and a half when one morning I heard something walk up to my tent. It was breathing like something out of a horror movie. It was a constant noise, not an in-and-out breathing sound. It then walked towards the boys' tent. I put on my glasses and looked at my pager. It was 4.50 in the morning. I thought it was a pretty real dream. Much to my surprise at that point, it walked back and stood at my tent. The tent was behind it, and I could see a shadow really well. It was tall, very tall, wide, and the head looked too small for the body with no neck. After standing there for 30 or 45 seconds, it walked away. My tent had no windows, 
and at the time I had no desire to see what it was. My alarm was set for 5 a.m., and the boy slept through it. I had my boy, who stood 6 feet 1 inch, stand at the tent. He had to be almost touching it to put to shadow where I saw it. If he took one step back, he would have to have been a couple of feet taller. There was a spot in the corner of our woods where all the tall grass was pushed aside and the area stunk for a few days. I don't know what it was, but I know many things it wasn't. It also walked past two dogs, one being a mean chow, and neither made a sound. We kept sleeping outside, but it hasn't come back that I know of. I did start sleeping with a much larger security blanket after that, though. My oldest boy woke me up one night last year, sleeping inside this time, saying he heard something. Then it did it again, and I heard it too. It sounded like it was outside the window. We grabbed the 10 and 12 gauge, both loaded with buck and the spotlight, and went outside. Every time it made the noise, we went closer. I thought it sounded like a bellowing noise. My boy said it reminded him of dragging something through gravel. And we thought we knew where it was. We hit the spotlight. We saw nothing. After that, we didn't hear it. Another night last year, sleeping on the new front porch, we made, I heard something, make a whoop noise a couple of times. It was real short and not drawn out. I had cameras out last year, but only caught some trespassers and known animals. I've been lucky enough or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, They've experienced some other things, but people never believe me and think I'm crazy. So I mostly just keep them to myself. Next story. If I believed in Momo or Bigfoot, I'm afraid my days of walking through dark woods might be over. I didn't smell anything while it was outside the tent, but smelled something later. Every so often during the summer, there is an off skunky smell around. I'll usually look around, but it's usually nighttime, and I've spotted nothing. Maybe one of these nights I'll see more than I want to. About 2002, I think it was around that year, that I went to southern Missouri to deer hunt. I stayed at a cousin of a cousin's house. Well, not the house really, because I slept in a slide-out camper that was up on blocks. The house was on a dead-end road with no neighbors. The camper was along the edge of the driveway, next to a dog pen with eight or nine beagles. They barked at everything. The door of the camper faced the woods, which were very thick and deep. They were supposed to wake me up at 5 a.m. to go fishing. A little after three in the morning, there was a knocking on the camper. I wasn't asleep and didn't hear the house door or hear anyone walk on the gravel. Then more knocking. Next, the knob was moved hard enough to move the camper. The dogs didn't make a peep. Me being the brave soul, I just stayed there cradling my pistol. I never heard anybody or anything walk away. There was a yard light towards the house and nothing went that way. There was also a chow running loose that was quiet too. I asked in the morning who was knocking on the camper, even though I knew the answer. They told me the last person staying in it kept hearing a knocking too and every time he'd come out, and asked what they wanted, but nobody had knocked on the camper. I looked all around the camper for anything that might have been hitting it. I found nothing. I would have thought that someone was messing with me about their boy hearing knocking, but three people told me the same story at different times. I could think some animal might be knocking, 
but not sure what could turn the handle and shake the camper. I guess one of these times I'll want to know bad enough to look. We had something the other night in the backyard. My 16-year-old boy seen something go across the yard. It creeped him out enough to not want to look good when it came across a few minutes later. I wasn't liking his description. It was probably four and a half to five feet tall, had a large oval head shaped gray like a bald head. He said it looked like it glided when it moved. He also said it was staying close to the house like it was trying to hide. There was a yard light outside too. I was six feet or less from it and I didn't know it. He woke me up and I didn't wake up enough to want to go look outside. At the same time, he saw in the backyard my mom had a dog outside in the front yard and it stood still and didn't move. That's never happened with this dog. My mom kept looking across the street, thinking the dog was looking there. Who knows what she's seen if she looked in the next yard right over from her. Crazy stuff I know. Wish it was all lies, because I'd sure sleep better at night. There's more, but like I said, I've been called crazy more than once. My grandpa didn't even believe when nine of us all saw the same thing. So, it's not just strangers. Next story. I was in Juneau, Alaska, once traveling on business. After work, I decided to drive north out of town, and I was stopping randomly at different beaches. I stopped at one and was having a great time on the beach by myself, watching the birds fishing and looking at the tidal pools. A truck pulled up in the parking lot above me, and I didn't think much of it the first time. The truck spun a Brody and left, heading north. I wandered further down the beach, and a few minutes later, the truck came back. It parked at the overlook for a bit. The beach was probably 50 feet lower in elevation than the parking lot. There was a bluff and just sat there. Then it peeled out again and headed off to the south. I was a bit creeped out, and about this time, I started making my way back to the trail to go back to my car. Right about then, the truck comes back. It parked with its headlights shining right towards me. It was getting to be dusk and just sat there. Then it peeled out, but I could hear that it stopped right where my car was parked. I heard the engine shut down on the truck. Right then, every instinct in me said, hide. I left the beach and went straight into the woods and someone up the hill. Juno has big trees and I found one that had been knocked down and I laid down on the far side of it. I was wearing a bright blue jacket and knew even in the fading light, I stuck out like a sore thumb. My cell phone had a poor connection and I wasn't armed because I can't carry any weapons when I travel by airplane. I was scared spitless at this point. Then I heard, slam, slam, and I knew that there was at least two people. They had waited a while, I guess, maybe to see if I was coming up the trail. Now they started down the trail, and one of the men appeared to have a long object. I think it was a rifle, but in the fading light, it may have been a bat or something else. And he was calling, Hello, where are you? All of a sudden, I felt very much like I just stepped into the most dangerous game. I remained hidden, heart beating wildly. I waited until the men were well down onto the beach and then began climbing the hill in the woods up to where I knew the parking to be. I tried not to make noise, but that was impossible. There were dried leaves and deadfall all over. 
I was making a heck of a racket, but I guess they never heard me. I got up to my car and the truck freaked me out. It was fully tinted and there was no way to tell if anyone remained in the vehicle. I started the car and tore out of there. I have hiked alone all my life and been in far more remote places than this, but never before or since have I felt such a feeling that I was in grave danger. To this day, I don't feel I overreacted. I am sure that those men had something very bad in store for me, had they caught me.